Well, good morning. It's great to be with you, whether you're here in this room or joining us online. We're glad to be together as we're rapidly moving toward the end of our study of Matthew. This morning, we're in Matthew 26. And, you know, it's funny preaching on these different chapters of Matthew because some of them are very focused on a single topic, like a couple of weeks ago when I talked about hypocrisy. And others are just filled with so many amazing stories and information, it's hard to know where to land. And that's the case today with Matthew 26. Matthew 26 felt to me like when you're binge watching one of those shows, and you know how you get toward the end, and all of a sudden you have these episodes where so much happens? Well, that's the way it is with Matthew 26. And this one chapter alone, we have the scene of the Lord's Supper. We have the woman anointing Jesus with the expensive perfume. We have the unforgettable scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. We have Jesus' arrest. And then we have Peter's denial. So many significant stories in so little time. But today, what I thought we would do is we would follow Peter's journey through Matthew 26, from the Last Supper to when the rooster crows. Now, I want to reassure you that you can trust me this morning as I discuss this topic, because I have some experience with roosters. <laughs> In my travels, I have been given roosters as gifts many, many times, and this is probably uh, the best one ever a couple of years ago in Malawi. This is one of our students who had just graduated from college, and we went to visit his grandmother who was so excited, and uh, nothing would have it except she was going to give me this rooster as an appreciation. You know, when I played football in high school, my dad and one of his buddies used to sit up in the stands, and they used to watch us play, and they would critique the players, and the coaches. And over and over, they would say, what are they doing? And my mom would get so frustrated with them that she would not even sit with my dad and my friend, his friend. She would sit in another part of the stadium because she got so tired of hearing it. Well, that's sort of the way we feel when we read about Peter's actions. Peter, what are you doing? Well, one of the things that I love about Scripture is that our heroes are not papered over. Peter, like many of the biblical heroes, are people who are broken and fallen and make mistakes, and we get to see how they work through those. I think it helps us if we can imagine what it would have been like to have been in the situations in Scripture. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to imagine yourself in these scenes as we work through Matthew 26. Centuries ago, St. Ignatius created a spiritual exercise where he invited people to envision themselves in a biblical scene. He said, if you could imagine the sights and the sounds and the, what was going on in the stories and imagine yourself in Scripture, then you could interact with God in a fresh way. Now, we're not going to actually 
do that spiritual practice this morning, but I am going to ask you to just imagine yourself in these different scenes as we look at the Apostle Peter and his denial of Jesus and what it might say to us about our relationship this morning. Just try to imagine yourself in the story. In the first episode, we see Peter at the table with Jesus and the other disciples. They're sharing the Passover meal, what we know as the Last Supper. The text tells us that when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. You know, he said that he had eagerly looked forward to sharing this time with the disciples. It was a celebration of the Passover, a celebration of God's protection of his people. But I suspect it was also a celebration of the close relationship that Jesus had shared with his disciples. Of course, in hindsight, we know that it was much more than a Passover celebration because through his words and his actions on that, that night, Jesus was essentially telling the story of Israel's history and letting everyone know that it was culminating in this new covenant through his blood and his sacrifice. Just as the Passover had prepared God's people to escape the slavery of Pharaoh, Jesus was preparing us to escape from the slavery of sin and death. Now, Jerusalem was a city of about 30,000 people, we think, at that time. But estimates are during the Passover, it would swell to over 150,000 people as people filled every available room. They would camp on the hillsides. Every place was just boiling over with people who had come from all around the land to celebrate this important event. When I think of them together sharing the Passover meal, I imagine it almost like we experience Thanksgiving because it was a time of really a time to celebrate their togetherness and God's blessing. Of course, it was no football, but everything else was similar to Thanksgiving. It's easy for me to imagine that kind of scene, that kind of picture of being together celebrating God's blessing. It's also easy to relate to how that picture can abruptly end when someone at the table brings up a controversial topic like politics. We've all had that experience at a family gathering. Well, in this case, the someone who brought up a controversial and awkward topic was Jesus himself. And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes, and it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. So this picture of unity and togetherness is shattered by the reality of betrayal. But not just betrayal from Judas. 
And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, then the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. In this moment, at Jesus' side, Peter is supremely confident. Why should he not be supremely confident? He has seen Jesus transfigured. He has seen him walk on water. He has seen him do countless miracles. How could someone like him ever deny Christ? He is confident. It is easy to be confident in our faith when we are in close proximity to Jesus and surrounded by others that love him. This morning, some of us can easily imagine ourselves as Peter in this scene because we feel so close to Christ. We are confident in our faith with our community. Sitting here this morning, we couldn't imagine denying Christ. Think about the times in your life when you felt the closest to Jesus, when you were in close proximity with believers around you. Maybe that describes your life right now, or maybe that's a bit of a distant memory. A few weeks ago, we were celebrating Rutledge Sunday, and many of us remember a time like that when we were on a spiritual high at summer camp or at some event. We were surrounded by friends, and we were all of one mind and one heart and there was nothing that could get between us and him. When we are in close proximity to Jesus and other believers, it gives us that kind of confidence that we could never turn our back on him. But you know, as I read and reread this chapter and analyzed Peter's journey, it struck me that denying Jesus doesn't just happen in a moment. Denying Jesus is a process. Some steps in that process are dramatic and some are subtle. But as time and distance increases, it's easier to say, I don't know the man. In episode two, we see the Garden of Gethsemane, which is at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. He then walked a little way from them and prayed, and when he turned, he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus had asked his three disciples to pray with him as he was facing this terrible moment when he asked his father to take the cup from him. 
But Peter has lost his focus. He has followed the Passover meal, much like Thanksgiving, I guess, with a nap. In fact, three times he has fallen asleep. And this is, this is what happens over and over as Jesus says, watch with me. And then he comes back to find them sleeping. And then we have the scene of Jesus' arrest. And Matthew says that one of the disciples drew a sword and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. In John's gospel, he identifies this disciple as Peter. Peter goes from a guy that can't stay awake to a guy swinging a sword in the blink of an eye. I know some Christians like that. They barely pay attention to their faith, but they can get really fired up and ready to fight and draw blood at a moment's notice. Where do you picture yourself in the garden scene with Jesus praying? Or maybe you're asleep. Or maybe you're wielding a sword. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered, and Peter was following him at a distance. In a very short time, Peter has gone from being with Jesus and confident at the table, saying he would die before he ever denied him, to being asleep and now following at a distance. I think that probably describes some of us this morning, following him at a distance. We still believe all the right things, but we have allowed the events of life to create a little bit of separation between us and Christ. I have had those times in my life. For instance, when I was in college, I I didn't lose my faith, but I sort of conveniently put Jesus on a shelf for a rainy day. I knew he was real, and I knew if I needed him, I could find him, but I wanted to do my own thing, so I followed him at a distance. I bet it's easier for some of us to picture ourselves in this episode, because if we are honest, we don't feel very confident in our faith, and we don't feel very close to him. We can still see him. We think we could find him in an emergency, but we have lost our sense of connection. We have either intentionally or unintentionally put some distance between us and Christ. Maybe like Peter's life, there's been a plot twist, and our story is not really going according to the script. We thought that we would always feel like we did at summer camp, but then life happened. Like Peter, we couldn't stay awake. We lost our focus, and now we feel spiritually disconnected. I know a lot of you go to the mountains in the summer, and uh, you know one of the things you do when you go to the mountains to cool off is you, uh, you get into a lake, and we know those lakes in the mountains are cold. And you get in that lake, and it takes a few minutes for your body to acclimate to the colder temperature. I think that's what happens when we follow him at a distance. 
we essentially are acclimating ourselves to a lower spiritual temperature. We live in chaotic and frenetic lives. We are distracted. Ever since COVID, some of us have had a hard time reconnecting with our Christian community, and we say to ourselves, well, this is just a season that we're in. But in truth, the longer we let that go, we become more acclimated to being spiritually disconnected from him. We have taken another step on the road to, not, to denying him. We have moved from being with him at the table to following him at a distance. Maybe we have moments of zeal like Peter, but we feel spiritually disconnected. As Jesus was being tried before the Sanhedrin and spit upon and, and beaten, Peter was on the outside. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystander came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. In this one night, Peter has gone from being the ultimate insider, saying that he would never walk away to being on the outside and saying, I don't know the man. We see that instead of being surrounded by his disciples, he is surrounded by those who have never known Jesus. How do you imagine yourself in a scene like this, surrounded by those who don't know Christ? That's when we most often deny him when we feel isolated when we're surrounded by those that don't know him it's like one of those african wildlife documentaries where the where the lions are roaming around and they they find one animal and they isolate it from the rest of the herd and then they pounce but before we criticize Peter too much we have to be honest very few of us have ever felt that kind of pressure for our faith has our life ever really hung in the balance for him well that's the current reality for many Christians around the world they are surrounded by people ready to pounce did you know that just in the last few months, over 200 churches have been burned in the Manipur district of eastern India? The ruling party supports an ideology that believes only Hindus are true Indians and that Christians and Muslims and other religious minorities need to be expelled. 
extremists with government approval who seem to attack others with impunity. A friend of mine in India recently shared a video of me of people uh, tearing a church apart as the police just watch and take videos with their cell phones. People in a situation like that, they deny Christ out of literal fear for their life. And I suspect that was the situation that Peter was facing. Thankfully, we don't face that kind of fear. Our pressure is mostly to deny Christ for social reasons, not because of physical threat. For most of our history, being known as a Christian was seen as a positive. However, that is rapidly changing. We deny Christ out of fear of not losing our life, but that we will lose something socially or financially. It used to be in a place like Atlanta, people would regularly ask you, where do you go to church? Well, that happens less and less these days. Public identification with Christ used to be good for business but now it can be a negative. If you work in a corporate environment, you know that you have to tread lightly these days. In our social circles, being known as a Christian can lead to all kinds of accusations about being anti this or pro that. He's just kind of become a political mascot. I even see it sometime in mission work in Atlanta, organizations that uh, care for the poor more and more they downplay Jesus in their branding because they know it will close some funding doors with foundations and the government in so many ways the way we live and what we say and what we fail to say communicates I don't know the man when we are no longer surrounded by others who love Christ and we have allowed ourselves to become distanced from him, and we are surrounded by social pressure of outside forces, it gets easier and easier to deny him. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Can you imagine his shame? Can you imagine how he felt knowing that in these last hours of Jesus' life, he had turned his back on him? There is a church legend that for the rest of his life, when Peter heard a rooster crow, tears came to his eyes. 
But as time went by, the rooster took on a different symbolism. The rooster became a symbol not of a man's failure, but of God's grace. On many steeples in Europe, you see a rooster like this one on a church in Scotland. It's a symbol of the truth that we worship a God of second chances and that our heroes of the faith are all broken and all had to be restored by Christ. You know, this scene with the rooster is the last time that we see Peter in the Gospel of Matthew. He's never mentioned again. But fortunately, the rest of his story is told elsewhere. So we need to imagine one final episode. In our final scene, Peter is back in Galilee fishing, and I can imagine he is a man crushed by disappointment. Early in the morning, one of the disciples recognized the man standing on the shore and said, it's the Lord. Peter, always the impulsive one, jumped into the water to get to Jesus, and they once more shared a meal. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. In contrast to denying him three times, Jesus is affirming his love for him three times. A few years ago, we had the opportunity to visit that spot on the Sea of Galilee. It's called Peter's Primacy. And we went there early in the morning, and it was rain, rainy and foggy. And I actually picked up this rock, and it's on my bookcase shelf now. And as I stood there, the thought that came to my mind was, this is real. Now that sounds like an odd thought, but there was something about standing in that place that was tangible, that you could just imagine this was the place where Peter received his grace and where Jesus painted this picture of restoration. Where do you see yourself this morning? Do you see yourself close to him at the table? Or maybe a little bit at a distance, a little distracted by life? Or even maybe on the outside? Or maybe you see yourself as someone in need of being forgiven and restored. Well, wherever you see yourself, wherever you imagine yourself in this story, I just want to say it's real and he sees you and he hears you and he will not lose any of those that he has called. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this picture of grace. We thank you for allowing your scripture to be created in a way that we get to walk with Peter on this journey and we get to see 
his mistakes. We get to see his failures. We get to imagine us in these stories and that we get to see you restore him. And so, Lord, we thank you for your uh, patience with us. We thank you that you are patient with us, you love us, you see us, and you restore us to be your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name.